Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled. I've been telling my story of life after alcohol since my very first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there, and I invite you to share your stories here. Now, I'm just back from vacation, so I haven't had uh, any live shows for the last few weeks, but you may have noticed that before I left, I posted four interviews with the former hosts and co-hosts of the Bubble Hour. So if you haven't listened to them yet, there's a nice treat waiting for you, an hour each with Ellie, Amanda, Catherine, and Lisa. And we all love and miss their voices so much. And I found it such a treat to have a conversation and and catch up with each of them and even just, just to have the warm balm of their voices wash over me. And uh, if if you're new to the Bubble Hour and you're not familiar with those ladies, I guarantee that listening to those interviews will make you want to go back into the old episodes and hear more from them and learn more about their stories from back then. So thanks to all of you who wrote and said how much you enjoyed it. I certainly found it to be a huge treat. Uh, When I was on vacation, it rained one day and I got something off of my checklist of to-do, and that was to create a website that would put the Bubble Hour and Unpickled and um, the, any information about my new upcoming book. I am out shopping for an agent right now, so um, it'll be a little while before I have a publication information on there, but that's where I'm at right now. All of that is now housed in one place, and that is jeanmccarthy.ca, because yes, I am Canadian, so uh, that is where you'll find all of that. So jeanmccarthy.ca, and McCarthy has two C's. Uh, one last question, please or request, and that is if you would be so kind as to rate or comment on the Bubble Hour on iTunes. That really helps other people hear this podcast, and we are pushing up between 2.5 million. We're moving right up onto 3 million downloads. It's absolutely incredible, and um, this podcast and the sharing of stories helps people get started in sobriety and make changes in their lives and for people that listen sometimes too just to try and understand people they love that are going through recovery experiences so there's a lot of good that that happens in podcasts like this one and if you want to help us out just simply rating us on iTunes helps out. Finally, one last thing. I had the great pleasure of being interviewed on the brand new She Recovers podcast. 
Um, those amazing ladies over at She Recovers are doing so many new and cool things, and they have launched a podcast. It is so beautifully done, and I was really honored that they asked me to come on there and talk about what my some of my thoughts and, and experiences in recovery have been. And uh, that just launched today, my interview with them. So I really encourage you to have a look at their new podcast and just search She Recovers on um, wherever you get your podcasts and you should find it there. So on to today. Well, the heart of this show is really back and forth with people who listen, who are touched by the stories they hear and use those stories to help move their own life forward. And when that happens, I'm so lucky when listeners write and say, you've helped me. I want to pay it forward by telling my story and helping someone else. What's really cool about that is that it it allows me to meet people that I would otherwise never get to talk to because, you know, you're, you're, coming up out of out of the ether for me <laughs> and um and it's just so so wonderful and so when that happens it's it's like a double treat because I get to meet a new person and hear a new story and always helps me listening holding space on the show helps me personally and then together we put the story out into the universe that helps other people so with enormous gratitude in my heart, I welcome Jen to the podcast today. Jen is a listener who has uh, about a year and a half now of recovery and who is here to share her story with us and, um, and tell us about some of the things that she's learned and experienced along the way. Jen, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Oh, thank you so much, Jean. Uh, this is a bit surreal um, to be talking to you and to be sharing my story the bubble hour and specifically though your blog was really um I poured through your blog on my first day of sobriety and the bubble hour has really been sort of my form of AA over the past 500 days in the sense that um you know sometimes it's hard to get to meetings I've been to them and I go to them when they they need to. I need that in order to to fill a void um, and to be in a room with other sober people. But as so many people are, I lead a really hectic life, and sometimes it's um, not easy to prioritize physically getting to a meeting and sitting in my car because I do a lot of driving for work. And um, turning on an episode of the Bubble Hour is like a meeting in the sense that I get to listen to someone else's story and be able to find similarities with that person and feel connected. So this has um, been a real essential part of and resource in my recovery. And I just wanted to just take a moment and thank you and all the guests who have been on this podcast because um, it's really helped me. And I'm hoping that through this, I might be able to help someone else too. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And it's really good to hear that. And also, I know it's not easy to do this. I know that it's a little bit nerve wracking and listeners don't necessarily know this, but before we go to air, the system that I use, which is blog talk radio, it has this sort of automated countdown that counts us down into the recording. And I was saying to Jen just before we went to air that it's like I'm trying to calm the guests down and get them ready to go on air, and then this robot keeps popping on with this dumb fake accent saying, your show will go live in five minutes, four, three, two. <laughs> anyway, I know I know that it's a little nerve-wracking, especially the first few moments, so thank you for being willing to be uh-huh. a little bit uncomfortable in order to give service in this way. 
Oh, that's okay. And, you know, it's a bit of a comic relief, actually, to hear that voice after being told that it's going to be on. So that's funny. <laughs> but um, <laughs> So um, I'll just sort of dive into it. Um, I live in um, New England, specifically Maine, actually, and I'm 41. I've been married for 19 years, which I think is really all of my adult life. <laughs> and um, I've got two lovely girls that are about to be 11 and 13. Um, so they're at a, just a tremendously fun age where I get to see them becoming um, veering into to young adults. And so it's, it's very cool to watch. Um, I'm a trial attorney and I've been an attorney for the past 15 or 16 years. Um, so I went straight from undergrad to, to law school and then into practicing law, which, you know, my job actually is, it's sort of a big part of my story. Um, I don't mean to get ahead of myself, but there's a lot of alcohol um, abuse and alcoholism in the legal profession. It's really a high percentage, I think, of, of professionals compared to many other professions. And, you know, I've, I personally had troubles with alcohol before I ever started practicing law. Um, but I was very unhappy in my job for a long time and had a, a real feeling of being stuck, which um, when I sort of dissect things and pull them apart, that's definitely one of my triggers. Um, and so it's actually kind of funny, you know, I, I tried for a long time to get out of the particular job that I was in for a good 15 years. And um, there were just barriers every time that seemed like they popped up and popped up and popped up. But just last month, um, I started a completely new position. I'm still a trial attorney, but it's, um, it's with a private um, in-house and an insurance company, and it's totally different than the private practice of law. And sometimes I just think it was the universe telling me that I needed to get myself together and take care of my um, issues with alcohol before before moving forward on this different path of life. Um, you know, maybe it's total coincidence. Who knows? But um, but I. I just find that that piece of it interesting. No sense in changing jobs and everything if I'm still drinking and, and struggling so much. But um, so going back to sort of the beginning, I you know, I grew up in a very stable environment. My parents were um, together throughout my childhood. They still are. Um, they were high school sweethearts. And so <laughs> talk about growing up together. They've, um, they've really weathered a lot of storms and been a very good model of um, marriage for me. I have one sibling um, and, you know, I just had a very stable childhood. My dad did work and travel a lot, um, but my mom, although she, she did some work, it was based out of um, home. So she was always there. Um, but I think, you know, a large part of what was going on for me in childhood was that I had issues with depression and anxiety and my parents didn't really know how to create space for those emotions. Um, my dad is a very, you know, um, where there's a will, there's a way type mentality, which has um, served him and me because um, I've adopted a lot of that um, pretty well in life in some areas, but, but also that sometimes comes with a, let's just, sweep the problems under the rug, you know, um, type approach to things. And 
so they didn't really know um, what to look for in a in a child in a teen, um, and didn't really know the questions to ask or or how to sort of pull stuff out. And so, you know, that resulted, and it's not something I think, at least with my group of peers, that you know you go talking about very much. And so. I sort of felt a bit alone on an island um, with respect to feelings. And so um, I think that really that lent itself to using alcohol um, in high school to numb those feelings. I mean, it's, it, didn't, it didn't start out that way. Um, you know, kids, it was a very rural area, so there's not a lot to do <laughs> during the weekends and whatnot, except for hang out at, um, you know, a backyard fire pit and drink. But um, so it started off very recreational, but very, very quickly I, I learned the effects of how it could numb my feelings and give me a break from some of the um, depression and anxiety that I was struggling with during that period of time. Um, and so you know, it, what ended up being very true for me was that once I realized that that alcohol had that ability to give me a break, um, I never actually really drank except for to get drunk. Um, I, I can probably count on one or two hands the amount of times that I've had two or three drinks. I mean, it's just that was never part of my makeup. My makeup was always chasing the drunk. Um, and so, because I really didn't actually like the feeling of just having a couple, I think that actually sort of made me more anxious about how I was acting and what other people were thinking of me. Um, and so that's, you know, I just always went overboard. Um, in an effort to sort of continue to get away, um, when I was in high school, my last half of my junior year, my first half of my senior year, I spent abroad as an exchange student in Australia. So talk about sort of going as far away from <laughs> literally on the other side of the globe, um, trying to, to sort of get away and escape. Um, but the culture there is it was wildly different than the culture that I was in in the United States, you know, where the legal drinking age is 21, but that didn't stop the store owner from selling it to us 16 year olds. But, um, you know, over there, the legal drinking age is 18 and it's legal to grow marijuana in your backyard and you can have up to 10 plants as long as you're not selling it. And so at 17, nobody cared. Um, and we drank and we smoked pot and we smoked cigarettes. And that was just like a daily basis type thing um and so probably i i when i look back i think a lot of my physical addiction may have started setting in during that year period of time uh, because it was just so much regular use um but throughout all of this i was a very good student academics came you know easily to me um college was definitely the next step and so um, I went straight from high school to university, and I double majored in social work and criminology. And I don't really remember drinking, you know, heavily during that period of time. I, um, I was in a relationship, um, a serious one, and lived with my boyfriend, um, so I never really stayed on on a campus, and so I never had any of that frat house or that type of experience. Um, I remember he was 
quite a bit older than I was. And so I remember him always having wine in the fridge and me drinking it and him commenting from time to time about how I really drank too much of it and I was underage anyway. And I thought he was a total jerk for (laughs) whose business was it anyway of his um, to be commenting on it. But it, it was certainly tempered and probably because I felt like I had a bit of a parent watching over me in that relationship, which I broke off uh, two days before the wedding, which is a bit of a side story. But in any event, um, when I did graduate with my social work degree at 22 years old, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, there's no way I can go out and help people with their problems. I'm 22. Um, That's just ridiculous. So I thought I'd stay in school, and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And my dad thought that I was pretty good at arguing, so I should go to law school. (laughs) which seemed like a a fine next step. And that's how I ended up in law school. But around that period of time, I I met who is now my husband. Um, And he, he's a great guy, but he does drink a lot more than my first fiance did. Um, And so it just became a real, you know, we had a lot of sort of parties and that type of thing. It It was in law school that sort of the daily drinking, though, picked up again. And we were all under so much pressure. I mean, it's just tremendous pressure um, to constantly be proving yourself, you know, to to be scrambling to the top, to make sure that you you impress all of your professors, make sure that you're you're competing all the time for, um, you know, summer jobs and clerkships and – and everything. Um, and so, and the whole grade in law school, you take one exam at the end of each class. And so your entire grade for the semester is based on this one exam. And so there's just a huge amount of pressure. Um, and we, so many of us compensated or relieved our, our pressure through alcohol and, and drinking every, every day. Um, so I ended up, you know, succeeding uh, and and doing well in law school. I graduated, you know, fourth in my class. I had a clerkship with our Supreme Court. Um, I had a job offer waiting for me for after I finished my clerkship. I mean, I was one of the ones who um, fit the, the model of law school, fit my style of learning well. But I think, you know, this is when it start, things started move that train of needing to succeed, needing to keep proving myself, needing to make sure that I was always on top of my game, you know, that, that train started really rolling. Um, and, and that became the pattern of my adult life um, was to always be on top of it all and to, um, I think a lot of my story has to do with over, overachieving and sort of how that dovetails in with alcohol abuse. And, um, you know, there's certainly an element of overachieving in order to prove to myself that I didn't have a drinking problem. You know, I couldn't possibly have a drinking problem because look at all the wonderful things I can do when I wake up in the morning. Um, and I make people marvel about how much I do and I'm on top of everything. So, so I've got this under control. I mean, there was certainly an element of that. Um, there was definitely an element of feeling like I needed to drink just to, 
to stop moving for a minute. You know, my husband says that I just, I have one speed and that's turbocharged. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm raking the lawn or if I'm unloading the dishwasher, which I'm usually doing with both hands and a foot to close the door or, you know, whatever it is, it's turbocharged. And so, um, so I think, I, I, I know definitely I was using alcohol sort of at the end of the day just to stop because I didn't know how else to stop. Um, and in a lot of respects, I felt like, geez, if I stop, am I going to pick up again? You know, um, sort of a very all or nothing type approach to a lot of things in life. And I think, you know, I was still, I, was, I, mean, I know I was still very much using alcohol to, to numb feelings. I mean, I've, I've been able to come up with a lot of tools to deal with the whole, to deal with my anxiety and to deal with my depression. And I, I've noticed, you know, a lot of growth even while I was abusing alcohol um, in those areas. But, but just, there's just still so much pressure in practicing law and in feeling, you know, feeling like I had to stay on top of it all that I needed to numb out those feelings. Um, so, um, Fast forwarding a bit to as we were getting along, um, you know, my kids are fabulous little creatures, um, <laughs> but when they were young, it was just this, another element of busyness. I felt like um, that was something else that I really needed to um, excel at. I needed to be the person who was able to be the primary breadwinner in the house and also, um, you know, have a, a pretty stressful job and to make sure that I volunteered in my parent, in my, um, you know, kids schools, I was in there once a week and birthday parties were not just birthday parties. They were like huge celebrations with handmade invitations and photo shoots. And I mean, just, it's really obnoxious actually looking back on it about how, how much energy I poured into just um, just this other every how how much value and stock I put into other people's perception of how well I had it under control. Um, it's it's kind of sad to look at it sort of from an almost from an outsider's perspective or looking in on sort of that snow globe that was the busyness of my life. Um, and you know I was on boards of directors. I still am on you know, one, but I was on several at a time and I was on town committees and, you know, all that type of stuff and competitive, you know, um, um, a competitive approach to marathoning. Um, so in addition to all this, you know, I run 50 miles a week and do triathlons and other things as well. Um, and, you know, it just got to be, it got to be so much and it got to be the point too where, I hated drinking. I, I didn't want to do it anymore. I, I loathed the thought of driving over to Trader Joe's to pick up my um, regular supply of 12 to 15. I mean, the box holds 12 bottles of wine, but I never only filled a box. And um, it was way too, I mean, the, the guy that is over in the wine area at Trader Joe's and I were definitely on a first name basis. I mean, he was showing me pictures of, you know, his family and <laughs> it was, we had way too close of a relationship. And I, I didn't want to go there anymore. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to drink anymore, but I didn't feel like I had any other way 
to live my life. I didn't know how to do it. Um, and it was terrifying to me, the thought of not having that in my life. Um, and it was so normalized. I mean, you know, I, my kids had this one, um, I remember this one survey, you know, what's mommy's favorite food? And it was like wine was the answer, which is just ridiculous. Um, and and they would know, you know, they would know it as soon as I came home that I was getting into a bottle of wine. Um, it just was so normal um, for them. So I hated that, and I didn't want that to be the case. And I was anxious and paranoid all the time because my drinking had reached this point where, you know, on Saturday mornings I would get done with a long run, and I would come in the house, and I would make myself a drink because obviously that's the way to hydrate yourself. Um, <laughs> but um, it felt great. And so um, but then it would be like this steady little trickle all day long um, on the weekends. And, you know, I'd show, show up to the kids' soccer games, and, uh, you know, what would be in that Yeti thermos? A very large mixed drink because you need that to get through a soccer game. Or you go to a kid's play at, six o'clock and better make sure I get out of work uh, in order to get home in time to have a glass of wine before I show up at the play. Um, and I just, I was living this really paranoid life too, feeling like, do other parents know that I've had a glass of wine? Do they know what's in this cup? You know, it, there was, there's definitely a culture of it in the sense that there'd be jokes back and forth about that's how we get through softball, you know, or that's how, that's what happens on the fall. It's our favorite time of year. Um, but you wonder, like, do other are other people drinking as much as I'm drinking? And my are my words slurring at all? Do I, you know, it it was it was just horrible, and I hated that pattern, and I really wanted to quit. And so, um, the one of the you know tipping points for me was my 40th birthday. So we belong to, um, which is going to sound. When I say that I still go on a monthly basis, this is going to sound really. Um, difficult I think for a lot of people but um, we belong to this lovely group of 8 to 12 couples that sort of fluctuates called we call it uh, wine some some of us call it wine night I've gone back to calling it first Friday which is what the kids say in school (laughs) that it's first Friday and we all live in the same neighborhood and we rotate um, from house to house every month on the first Friday and and the host puts out um, pizza and drinks for the kids and everybody brings an appetizer or a bottle or two of wine. And these people have become family to me. They're just amazing people. And the first few months of my sobriety, it was definitely, I I didn't go, you know, sometimes, sometimes I went and um, left early and now I go all the time because I, it's, I'm there because I genuinely love their company and I've found actually first Fridays were so much better not drinking <laughs> than when I was drinking um, because I can remember all the conversations and I can look at them and um, engage with my friends and I, I just love it. But what happened on my 40th birthday was my husband was trying to surprise me with a party and um, there's really nothing that goes on in my house that I don't know about. And so he was like, there's no way I can do this except for at first Friday. So I walked in that month and it was lovely. I mean, just a whole bunch of other people outside of our core group of families um, came and, and family members, but I had pre-gamed before first Friday. I couldn't, I could no longer go and just have, 
one bottle of wine, you know. <laughs> it, it was okay as a couple to bring two, um, but still I would need to, to drink before him before I got there in order to get to the level where I wanted to be. And um, and because it was my birthday, like, there was there was just so much alcohol. And, and I woke up the next morning on my dear friend's couch having blacked out, which was pretty frequent um, at that point, and not knowing where my kids were and feeling like, for the love of God, you know, you're 40 years old. Um, really? It, you can't you can't be passing out on people's couches and not knowing where your children are. Um, and they were home safe with my husband, but I had no memory of, um, of them le- even leaving. And then when I pulled together all of my birthday gifts and cards and, and lovely things that my friends had put together, maybe 70% of them had to do with wine, you know, towels that had wine references or cards with wine references. And, and that was just such, it just hit me in the gut. I was like, this is, this is what people associate now um, with who I am. And, and I, I didn't want that to be the case. So I stopped, um, I stopped a few days after my 40th birthday and I didn't have any plan whatsoever. And that lasted all of, you know, a week or two. Um, And this is after years of, as so many people have gone through the moderation torture, right? So many diets of (laughs) counting calories or counting points or counting carbs in an effort to moderate my drinking, um, which was never, ever, ever successful. Um, I, I mean, I knew I had a problem. I, I, I've seen sometimes of, of folks saying, you know, if you Google, am I an alcoholic, that's one of the warning signs. I mean, I did that, you know, 20 years before <laughs> um, so that ship had sailed. Um, but um, so I didn't really have a plan, and I ended up, drinking again um, 10 or so days after stopping. And then for the next 10 or so, or 10 days, 12 days, I, I drank with the sole purpose of self-destruction. I mean, I just hated, I hated where I was at in my life so much. And I, I felt trapped. I felt trapped by alcohol. I felt trapped in my job. I just felt trapped in a number of other different ways. Um, And and I don't know what it was about February 25th. I honestly don't, except for I just made the decision that I'm worth it and I I can. Um, I'm a strong person. I've done a lot of things by by um, pulling on my reserves and turning to more, towards my resources and and finding my way, and that I wasn't going to let it beat me. Um, and so I I scheduled. Um, February 26th, I just emailed in to my, my work and I said, I'm, I'm staying home today. And I laid in bed and I cried and I slept and I went online and I found um, your blog and I found references to the BFB and um, I sort of set myself up with some resources and ordered a couple books and, and still really felt incredibly scared and terrified and like the world was closing in but just vowed to 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 keep at it and I downloaded an app on my phone 
um, to help me track um, the days and the money saved and and um, and committed myself to it. And, you know, the past 500 or so days have been challenging um, and rewarding. And I'm not going to say that um, at this point, I mean, I've got so much work to do on myself. I know that, that, you know, I haven't been to therapy. There's a lot more pulling apart of things and dissecting things that I need to do in order to, to, to get at, um, to just unpack, you know, some of that history of how I am, where I am today. And I know I have all of that work to do and I do it, you know, in bits and pieces. Like I said, I'm, I'm still running. Um, I still run a lot. Um, and so I get to spend a lot of time in my head that way, which is a wonderful thing. Um, I always run outside even when it's five degrees below and, and sometimes in blizzards up here because I really need to have that connection with nature. Um, so I, I do a lot of that unpacking of, of my emotions and feelings. Um, and, there, you know, I, I went through all of those firsts in that first year, and I got through them successfully sometimes better than others you know showing up at my first friday my first first you know friday um sober and but with with confidants in place um who were really supportive and now now everybody knows and boy that was a fear i just thought oh what are people going to think of me like i know that this is what they have for me as an identity now what are they going to have for me as an identity in the future am i going to be you know boring et cetera, et cetera? and that just was not the case i mean i told i'll never forget this i told one of um we have this couple that that was what we really would do together um, was, was drink. A lot of our, our social time was drinking. And I put off telling them for a long time because I just felt like, wow, you know, we have so much fun together. We're always, you know, cooking out and pools and our kids are together and, you know, we go skiing together and all these things. And what are they going to, is it going to be okay? And so finally, you know, the husband's fairly perceptive. And after about, six times over the course of last, last summer of me saying, no, I'm not drinking today. <laughs> he was like, what is in your cup today? <laughs> and I was like, tonic water, anything else? I'm like, no, not really. And so I, I told them and they were like, and, and they were like, oh my gosh, you know, that's awesome. Wonderful for you. How can we support you? And they were, they were fabulous. And I went to, um, um, my my female friend hosted a, a group of us ladies over at her house a couple of weeks um, weeks later, and and um, I showed up a little bit late, and I was a little nervous because she was the only one in the group who knew. And she came up quietly behind me and gave me a hug and handed me a um, a lovely um, lemonade seltzer water that she had muddled blueberries and mint in and she's like I made this for you you just let me know when you need it refilling um so so I have been really blessed to have um the support of some pretty awesome awesome people um and was very thankful that my fears were unfounded and to be candid none of them noticed they just don't care. I mean, they don't, I cared more about what was in our cups than they ever care what's in mine. <laughs> um, so I sort of forgot where I was going with that, but, uh, oh, in the first, you know, it, it, it's, it, 
it was an unknown. You know, the first time I got off a ski slope and didn't go straight to the bar in order to get something to warm me up, or the first time I finished a marathon and didn't drink um, heavily afterwards, and all of those first. The first time I went camping and did not fill a red cup or even putting up the tent. Um, um, and But looking back, it's like, wow, I really enjoyed those moments so much more, so much more. Um, and I'm getting a lot of fulfillment. Um, and and sober for me has just been so much better. And I, you know, I guess the last thing I want to say before I sort of open it up to your questions is that I, I've, I've thought to myself, well, how are you doing this, Jen? I mean, you do use tools. You listen to the bubble hour. I'm, you know, I've got the BFD. I've got She Recovers Together. Um, I monitor or not, mon- not monitor, but I read a lot of those posts. I comment when I can. I go to AA when I, when I feel like I, I need it, um, although I'm not working the steps. I know that there's a lot more, though, that I could go deeper in, and I know that I still have moments where – I, you know, um, I've really stressful days and, um, and, you know, I'll say out loud to my husband, I'm like, I would drink over this. Well, I would drink over anything, but this was definitely something I would drink over. So I need a few minutes in order to, you know, get myself in a place where this goes away. Part of it for me is that I just press fast forward and it never plays out well. It, it, it never, never, ever does having one drink to solve the stress of whatever situation I'm feeling or whatever emotions I'm feeling, happy or sad or anxious or anything else, never does that not lead in what I know to be reality to the point where the next day I'm going to go buy a bottle and the next day I'm going to go buy a bottle. And, the ne- you know, it, if I open that floodgate, I, at, at this point I'm very well um, – settled with the fact that I just can't have that. That's just not an option for me. Um, and, you know, I, I have, um, I actually have celiac, um, which I don't know if you've ever heard of, but it means that I, I can't have gluten. Um, and I've been, it's an autoimmune disorder and I've been that way for, well, I got diagnosed in, I think 2003. So a long time. And so to some extent, I think for me, I have experience in not being able to have something, you know, and knowing that I just can't have that. If I have that, that's, that's, that's not going to be good for me. Um, and I'm, and I can't have, you know, my body is not going to tolerate that. And so I have that mindset and it was, um, that I, th- that I think that helped me sort of fall into, um, ex- you know, accepting it once I was ready to accept having, having this approach of, I simply cannot have it. But um, that's where I'm at now, and that's my story. There's a thousand little side stories <laughs> from that, as there always are. But that's sort of the bird's eye view. Well, thank you. And I, I'm going to pick up from there a few a few things that you said that I wanted to just suss out a little bit more. You mm-hmm. talked about um, increased um, alcohol use in the legal profession. Why do you think mm-hmm. that is? Well, I, you know, I don't know a lot of people who are pretty comfortable being under the microscope all of the time. And <laughs> and being a lawyer definitely feels like you're under the microscope all of the time. So th- there's a lot of parts 
in it. One, I think lawyers are um, are compensated um, that are, you know, it, it, it's an above average compensation. So for a lot of families, the lawyer is the primary breadwinner in their home. And so, um, and, and so there's the pressure of being a primary breadwinner and that's universal for, you know, anybody who, who is in that type of job where they are, uh, their families depending on that income. Um, but for me, that was a big deal. You know, I know that if my family wants to order in order to live the way that we do, I need to continue to earn a certain amount. And that may seem superficial, but it's after a bunch of years, it becomes a big decision-making factor. So there's a, you know, there's some weight on our shoulders with that respect. Um, judges. I mean, you go into a courtroom, and this is true for people who are litigators or trial attorneys, but I think that it's also true for there's so many different types of law, whether it's, you know, um, taxes or commercial law or that type of thing. But there's always someone who's sort of regulating your profession, whether it be a judge or somebody else. And they're always assessing who has the better argument, who has the better case, who has the better side, that type of thing. And so there's pressure to be on the top and, and win in every case. And you've got the judge assessing you. When you're giving an argument or you're preparing a case, making a defense, whatever it be, you know, the other side is watching you too, because it's always, especially in litigation, it's a game of chess. You know, you're trying to anticipate where they're moving. And then, you know, you're trying to strategize and make sure that you're putting your client in the best possible position. Uh, and and through writing, through oral advocacy, through just how you negotiate in order to get get a case settled it's all about um about who's doing a better job really you know who's mm-hmm. winning um and it's who's winning in every single case you know and it's always especially in litigation it's always contentious you know because there's it has to be i mean you can treat each other and should treat each other with civility and respect but at the end of the day we're on opposite sides of the table um and so so that can be really um that that can be a lot for people to, especially if you come from a place where I came from a place of feeling like, you know, I needed to prove myself anyway, in general, in life. I sort of had that, um, I, you know, I had that perspective on life. And then so to have that layered on top of it is difficult. And then I guess the the last piece I would say that can be really difficult for people who even aren't litigators is that private practice is not easy um, because no one tells you this in law school, but it requires operating your own business within a business. And so, you know, I was a a partner in my, my firm where I was at for 15 years. And what that requires is that, you know, every partner needs to generate their own business and, and, you know, you shouldn't be stealing from other partners, but people sort of do, you know, and, and so there's not always an air of, really trust or a place where you can let your hair down and just be yourself, even within the environment that is your home environment, because you're each, you each have your own little business in it. Um, So that can be really difficult. That can be really difficult. Now, in that, the, the, just as you describe the pressure of your work, I mean, that's, that's something I really hadn't thought about before, even though, I mean, I love watching Christine Baranski <laughs> on the good site. She makes me feel like I could do it. <laughs> so it's not like that, maybe. Um, but um, 
sorry, my phone's ringing in the background no, and causing fine. causing me distraction. I thought I shut it off. Um, and he, and I was coaching you. Don't worry if there's background noise. <laughs> and here I'm the problem. Um, but uh, so as you describe that, I can't help but think of what a superpower sobriety must really be. To even though you don't have that sort of built-in pressure valve of being able to have a drink at the end of the day, you also don't have all of the detractions that come with it. And so uh, I wonder if you talk about at all at work that you've quit drinking and how that affects you, or is that something that you fear would be seen as a negative rather than a positive? Yeah, that's a really good question. And thank you for bringing that up because I think that a lot of the people who practice law and who are struggling with um, issues with alcohol have a real fear about it. So I, I did not bring it up at my firm until the very end, um, and that was because I was offered, I was offered a position within the firm that I really didn't want to take, um, and I felt pressured to take it, and so I said yes. And then. As soon as I did, I realized I felt more trapped than ever. Um, and so I backed out of it and explained to our managing partner, you know, I really, I can't do this and here is why. And and I told him in this total blubber meltdown of a session <laughs> that, you know, that I had been sober for about 11 months and um, and all the reasons why this, this new position. And he was amazing. Uh, he was so supportive and so kind. And he told I mean, he had to share it with a few of the other managing partners because of the specificity of that position and, and me backing down. And everybody was wonderful. That said, we, we all in the United States, you know, um, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but um, we have bar associations, you know, we're governed by a governing body that oversees us. So there's a overseers of the bar and, and a lot of people fear that if they come forward and say, I have an issue with alcohol, that the um, board of the uh, overseers are going to come in and sort of take control because they do have the power to do that. If you're not medically able to practice, if you're, um, if you're having mental health issues and not able to be confident in practice, and, you know, if you are, have active issues with alcohol and it's affecting your practice, they can put you into a monitoring program. They can restrict your license. They can do all sorts of things, and that makes people very, very fearful. Um, in fact, a lot of my practice was representing physicians. I was a medical malpractice defense attorney, um, and so um, my world was doctors and lawyers. But um and, and that's very true for them as well, that same sort of oversight. And that that makes people freeze, um, the thought of having um, someone come in and say that you can't practice your livelihood unless you do it under their rules and with their monitoring. Um, so that has not been an issue for me because my practice was never affected. And when I spoke out about it at work, I've you know, I have things under control and everybody felt very comfortable with it. Um, and so it wasn't an issue, but I know it's a real issue for a lot of people, that fear. I want to thank you for your honesty around that then, because I feel like that, uh, I could just see how that would be so hard. And even people that mean well, and uh, yeah, that they just, their misunderstanding could, could be huge. Um, and as I didn't realize that your, your, um, that your profession was as a 
a medical malpractice <laughs> defense attorney. That's amazing. Um, and so you may have listened with interest to an episode I had not all that long ago um, in June with Dr. Vanessa Klugman, who mm-hmm. is a, a physician who lost her license as a result of addiction and and has mm-hmm. come back from that. So I just mentioned that for yeah. for you and yeah. for listeners that uh, there's a little bit of crossover in story there. What I want to know from you now, though, is that as you continue on in this profession, that is stressful and difficult and people cope the best they can and sometimes in not the best of ways. Do you see things around you now at work that you kind of identify as being, you know, on a spectrum or in a, in a, in other people that might have problems that are escalating? Is there a part of you that wants to sort of help them and, um, and not to suggest that you're judgmental at work, but is there a part of you that sort of sees the need for, for help mm. and compassion and in, in, within your industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could. Uh, it would go beyond both hands. The number of people that I could, you know, think of um, who who need help. But and and you know, what's funny is that I see it now on a personal level too. I see, it, and I'm not. It, it's hard. You don't. It's not coming place from a place of judgment. It's coming from a place of concern. But I have not yet figured out sort of how to have that conversation. I've I've thought about it many a times. Like how would I approach this? Um, I haven't been I haven't been terribly. It's not that I'm not open about my recovery. If someone were to ask, I would say I don't drink and and I don't drink because it was occupying a lot of my mental space. Um, so much so I was thinking about it all the time and that's not where my life should be. And and I've said that too. It, it has come up over time and it's amazing. I've, I remember one woman going, wow, you know, I really, I tried to moderate too and I quit for a while and, and sometimes I think I have trouble with it and good for you. And, you know, um, and now I know that if she, if she wanted to talk more, she would know that there's a resource, you know, and somebody she knows and that feels really good but I haven't figured out sort of how to just open up and have that conversation out of the blue, you know, with somebody. Work-wise, we do have a confidential program that you can refer people to. Um, I've never, I've never done that. I've never felt, I, I've never felt comfortable, um, sort of not invading their space that way. But maybe it does feel like a little bit like that. So that's something that I could, um, that's something that I have thought about, Jean. I just have not gotten my head around how to have that conversation. (laughs) I have a feeling that when the time is right, things just unfold as they should, and we tend to just do our best in those moments. I had to smile when you said that your husband says you have one speed and it's turbocharged. That's so cute. And and then, of course, you're very physical and, and, um, running races and and doing, you know, high energy things. For me, being addicted to sort of motion and and busyness turned out for me to be a symptom of having a raging inner critic and a giant fear of criticism. Mm -hmm. And I just made myself a moving target so that I felt like I was beyond criticism. I mean, I might be screwing everything up, but look how busy I am. Um, that was yeah. that that was what that meant to me and and so i have a tendency to project that impression 
or that understanding on other people. How do you see your busyness? Um, and are, is that is that sort of bathed in? You talked about perfectionism. Is that does that have to do with the raging inner critic, or have you sort of figured out if there's something behind that, or does it serve you well? Yeah, no, I don't think it serves me well. Um, <laughs> I think it's an area of um, where growth um, can happen for me. Um, and in fact, I actually I had a moment this summer where um, I grew. You know, you just have to take these baby steps where you have to sit with what it is, the decisions that you're making and how you're living and, and say, okay, what is this all about really? So, um, so last summer I did this endurance run and it's a lap run where you, you run for 4.2 miles every hour and every hour a new race starts. And I really wanted to go a certain distance and I didn't make it. And so this year I was like, darn it, that's it. I'm getting 12 laps. I'm doing 50 miles this year. And so I wrote out this big, long training program. And, and this is after, you know, finishing my, my sixth marathon of the, the year because I'm doing one in every state. And I'm out on this run with my training partner who is, an amazing um she's so great for me her 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 husband has been sober for 10 plus years and she's just she's wonderful to talk to but um so I was like why why am I doing this to myself what am I proving and who am I proving it to and she's like I don't know you'll have to think about that Jen (laughs) things you have to answer and so I was like yep I do so in my next run I was like I am proving this to everybody else I don't need this like this is you know, I'm not doing this for the right reasons and I'm going to wreck my summer running like a crazy person so that I can make sure that I run 50 miles. Now, some people might have really good reasons for doing that. And I think that's wonderful, but I identified for me that I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. And um, unless I want, I can be a healthy fit person without trying to run 50 miles in one, um, one instance. And that I really needed to, to, look at that and and change things and do it for fun and not for proving myself to others so that I can feel so that I can have some sort of, you know, validation of self-worth or, you know, my husband will often say that I'm a very at a girl type of girl, you know, (laughs) I I need those uh, affirmations. And so I'm constantly inspecting that. I'm constantly trying to be like, okay, what's your motivation for doing this? And what will really happen if you say no, or what will really happen if you don't do this? Or, you know, the other morning I decided to, to skip all the craziness and wake and what is usually my morning routine, which, you know, starts very early and, and is with unloading the dishwasher and folding clothes and making less and blah, 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 right? And just sit outside um, with my cup of coffee and my dog and my fire and, um, and enjoy the morning for an hour. It was wonderful. I, I, mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I sat and did that, <laughs> you know, so... Um, so those are gifts that come with sobriety, the being able to pull things apart and change things. I love that. Now I, I wrote a post on my blog last week that I feel like I almost need to apologize to you for because, (laughs) (laughs) because I wrote about resentments and, Mm. and I wrote about, and I was kind of identifying things like we, you know, we talk about resentments and we can go really deep, but sometimes there's also superficial things that are um, symptomatic of bigger things. And so I wrote a fairly lighthearted post on, on some of my resentments that are, you know, quirky, but 
that that are symptomatic of something. And one of the things that I said was that um, when I was younger, I wanted a beautiful name. Jean just seemed like so boring and almost a guy's name if you spell it wrong, which everybody does. And um, and I just thought Jennifer was the most beautiful name in the world. And whenever I hear someone who's shortened their name from Jennifer to Jan, which I assume Jan is short for Jennifer for you, um, yeah. that it almost pains me to say that name because I feel like, but you're a Jennifer. <laughs> Anyway, don't take it personally. Should you read that post? Uh, oh, but uh, that was, you know, that was one of my resentments. So as as you've moved through the last eighteen months and started to, you know, be introspective about things, have you uncovered any resentments or things that kind of gave you pause that felt normal up to that point, but that you realized were sort of never true or normal parts of your life that were actually undermining your wellness or symptomatic of some kind of stinking thinking as they say in AA (laughs) (laughs) um so I wonder if my husband will hear this he might um and and if he does he'll save this recording for the rest of our life so I'm not always (laughs) right (laughs) I'm often wrong (laughs) um you know, I, I I went around uh, living not just our marriage, but just sort of our life with, okay, you know, snap, snap, we've got to do it my way because my way is the right way and my way is the most efficient way. And um, I've got this, Every, I'm leading, everybody else is following all the time. And, I, you know, I got a lot of that. Um, I, I got a lot of like self-worth out of that. People would call me a, random people with questions like, oh, if we have a problem, Jen can fix it. You know, she'll know an answer. She'll know someone. She can connect us to someone or she'll, you know, blah, 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 because they took such pride in having answers and fixing things. It's sort of another looking back obnoxious trait. But um, but I've been able to realize that I am really not always right. And I cannot go around walking around resenting other people's like silly mistakes because I make silly mistakes too, you know? Um, And I think part of that was I used to beat myself up for silly mistakes. It was such a self-esteem issue too. You know, I've got to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, then I'm failing. And so I've got to get everything together and and make it perfect. And then if somebody else had a mistake, it would be like, well, especially my husband, you know, well, why, why on earth would you do it that way? And so I've got to, then that led over, 19 years to me doing it all I to 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 never a decision being made unless I was the one making the decision and really ridiculous things like you know what cereal do you want me to pick up <laughs> the things I mean just because because I was contributing to this sense of it's got it's got to be perfect um and so that's a really that has been a real eye-opener for us and a really hard thing for me not to um, automatically fall into that pattern of doing it my way. Has and then resenting a bit of a if relief too. Do you find I, I I certainly find that giving up yeah. control has has gosh you know what it it feels pretty good to not have to run the universe every day. Like are you finding there's there's some relief in that too? We're still moving towards it being okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're still 
we're still having the conversations and not just not, I mean, cause I was the problem solver in a lot of ways at work too, just because of the way it was set up. A lot of people came to me with their questions. Um, and so we're still moving towards, especially my husband, you know, calling and saying, well, what do you want to do about this? And me saying, I don't need to be the one to make that decision. And he was saying, really, are you sure? You know, so we're, <laughs> we're still, you know, we're, the understanding is there and we are testing the waters and getting a little more progress every day. So I can't say that I've actually come to the place where I feel like a, a little relieved to give up something. I don't think I'm quite there yet. <laughs> okay. I have one last question for you before we go. And that has to do with the wine guy at Trader Joe's. Do you like not oh, go to Trader yeah. Joe's anymore or do you just, does he give you sad eyes when you ignore him or how's that going? I was in Trader Joe's for the first time in a long time yesterday. And um, and we were walking around. And this is how well you get to know somebody, right? I hear my husband perk up behind me. And he's very supportive. He's, I am blessed to have, to, to have his support through, um, through becoming sober. However, because I try to handle things really well, I think sometimes he doesn't recognize that some things are hard for me. And so... He starts to pipe up, you know, the one thing that's really good about Trader Joe's, and I just looked at him and I said, if you even make one comment about the wine department, and he's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, he just doesn't even – he knows that we don't have wine in the house and stuff like that, but he's like, yeah, they do have a really good wine department. It's like, no, stop, stop. Think what's coming out of your mouth. Yeah, no, I I go in. I just – Veer away from that. You know, I don't go. I don't go through the wine department anymore. <laughs> Cut a wide berth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I want to thank you so much for spending some time sharing your story with with me and the listeners of the Bubble Hour today. I hear joy in your giggle. I really do, and uh, I hear freedom, and that's a lovely mm-hmm. thing. Thank you. Yeah. No, this is really. I know you you sort of um, often end with telling listeners to, you know, something that you can share with listeners, a takeaway point, that type of thing. And so I did try to give some thought of, about that. And, and, and I have two, because you just mentioned that freedom. It truly is freeing. I mean, not having to think, just shutting the door on alcohol and not having it has that power over your life. I mean, it's a get out of jail free card. It's, it really feels amazingly freeing. So that's one thing that I wanted to say. And I guess my other sort of takeaway point is just love yourself. You really are worth it. I mean, I hit a bottom there where I really, I, I didn't think there was a way out. I couldn't imagine how there could be a way out or how I could be worth a way out or, 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 and it just takes believing in yourself. And that can be a very difficult thing to do. It really can, but all, everybody listening to this is you're, you're all so worth it. And there are people around who will love and pick you up. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it, and I'm I'm really grateful to know that the stories that have been shared here have helped you and that now your story is going to go forward and help others. So thank you for being part of this. My pleasure, and thank you. Thank you. 
And listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed our discussion today. As always, feedback, comments, thank yous to the guest, anything you want to send, send it to thebubblehour at gmail.com. I'm happy to forward it on to whomever you'd like to receive it and, uh, and make sure that credit goes where credit is due. That's all I have for this week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being here. It's great to be back. I hope your summer's going great. Until I am back again, take good care. Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Weakness head on me In a dark corner is where shame lies behind We think you're strong Take me.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.